0: Welcome to What A Witch Podcast, a mother-daughter podcast where we discuss mysteries, history, current affairs, pop culture, books, movies, and pretty much everything under the sun that interests us, and hopefully you too.
1: (laughs) Hello. Hello. how are you? I'm good. So we, I, this is our false start.
0: We had know. a false start.
1: So I want you to describe something before we even start. Mm. Can you describe okay. this?
0: Oh my god! Oh my gosh! It's, so it's a drink. You have a drink. You have a. It's from um, the Houston Aquarium. It's a very large glass. It's a very large and, glass and i and i'm assuming it is a some type of mimosa. It's a mimosa. Which normally you drink in the morning. This is early evening, late Dude, afternoon. Dude, i've been all about mimosas recently. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But i've been really into champagne.
1: I don't mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I've been super about it, but this is a really really large. It's like <laughs> it's a souvenir a hur- glass. It's a hurricane glass
0: is what it is.
1: It's Well, it's just, it's a souvenir glass from the Houston Downtown Aquarium. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's, it's one of those large, like, I don't know. So anybody who's ever
0: been, anybody who's ever gone to New Orleans, you get a hurricane glass. So it's, it's a hurricane, hurricane glass. Okay, I see. um, That you, you would make maybe, um, what do they call them? It is the the something tea with all of the alcohol in it?
1: Oh, Long Island, Long Long, <laughs> Long Island ice tea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a real big, a real big, a real big drink. <laughs> I could fit almost the entire bottle of champagne in here, with just like a little splash of orange juice just for color.
0: And so we. <laughs> I got to have my so, vitamin C, bro. That's right. So it is because we're celebrating, I think, right? Yeah, we don't have to talk about it, but yeah, it, it is time for celebration. So um but I'm Yes.
1: I have been <laughs> in a, in a tremendously better mood than I was the last this last week, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, um <laughs> if I get a little silly later I guess you know why but
0: how are you I'm good I'm good and um before we go any further before we um, forget (laughs) before we forget because Uh you know we tend to do this um we we have been terrible at promoting uh ourselves uh any social media and um it's not something we're very practiced at Um, obviously. So we do have a Facebook page and an Instagram account, um, both under what a witch moniker. Um, in addition, now you can email us at what a witch podcast at gmail.com. What a witch podcast all running together. Um, and I have to say that this really scares me. <laughs> Why does it scare you? You
1: said that earlier. Why
0: does it scare you? Because <laughs> social interaction with strangers causes a lot of anxiety in me. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I would not do well with hate mail. So, mama, um, people won't <laughs> hate you. You're the best. <laughs> you never know. Um, there are haters out there. So, but uh, anyway, so I'm, um, we're, I'm, I'm trying this new thing. It's called No Fucks Left to Give. So I like you know, I'm trying, I'm trying not to give any fucks. Um, and we'll see how it goes. So anyway, uh, when I set it up, I tried for just WAW podcast because that would be so much easier to type out. Um, but it was taken. So it's a very long email address which might discourage people from sending hate mail
1: (laughs) well it's all of our platforms seem to be the same um -hmm. you know so what a witch podcast is pretty much that's our instagram that's our facebook that's our email so um if you want to check it out we usually our instagram we usually post images of what we're talking about you know so so you can Mm -hmm. just go and look
0: there to kind of see what we're talking about or whatever but yeah. yeah so so there you go it's it's a new thing uh and if you feel you want to send us a note or a suggestion um uh, yeah guest. suggestions that would be nice yeah. yeah and and we'll read them so um so anyway done with self-promoting
1: so how how are so, you how have you been
0: i i'm good you know this this week has been another very busy week mm-hmm. um I've been trying to get some writing done, but my day job, um, the one that pays the bills and provides health insurance and all those, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> necessary things, um, it's been keeping me very busy. But, um, as time permits in the evenings, your Aunt Kathleen and I are currently working on a second screenplay, uh, And that's been a lot of fun because it's a ghost story. Uh, And yeah. yeah. Um, But the first script that we wrote, we submitted it to the LA international film festival in which, um, and that was earlier this year. um, And we made it to the semifinals. um, And then we submitted the same script to the Academy awards, Nichols fellowship screenwriting contest, and it made it to the top fifteen percent, um, and and there were over seven thousand entries in that one. So I felt really good impressive. about, yeah, getting into the top fifteen percent. Um, we received readers' comments from the contest, um, and they were pretty complimentary, and the constructive criticism made a lot of sense. So. After some further edits based off of those comments, we're submitting that script to some more contests um, that are gonna open up at the beginning of the year. Oh, very um, cool. So so we'll see. Yeah. And then once we finish the ghost story we're working on, we'll start submitting that one as well. Uh and you know, your Aunt Kathy actually has a film agent. But we're just trying to be proactive and getting it out there wherever we can. So cool. Yeah. So what about you? How's this week been for you? Good. Um, you know, back at work, I'm finally out of training.
1: So I'm, I'm closing an opening by myself and everything. Um, I did my first clopin since I've been back. Yeah, which is uh, closing and then the next morning opening. Which, you know, it it's just so I, f- I forgot how fucking draining that is. Right. Um, I was like wiped for, you know, like the like Friday. I feel like I was just so tired all day because it was Wednesday night and then Thursday morning. Um, but well, and it's been a while since you've had that kind of schedule, right? Exactly. Yeah. So my sleep schedule my weekends i what i'm thankful for being back at work is my weekends are available which you know i and i had this long conversation with you about it i was really nervous going back to work cuz i told them like hey i'm i'm pursuing other things um and so i need my weekends open and that's really hard to ask it's a hard ask working at a bar just in general because I'm in a different position and because they just need help, they need people to relieve them, um, they were able to work with my schedule. So uh, I get weekends to recuperate and actually have weekends. And it's kind of the first time in my entire working career uh, because I've been in the service industry since, you know, since I've been working. Um, Mm -hmm. It's kind of the first time that I have weekends available. I mean, obviously, for the last, like, seven or eight months, I've had <laughs> – every day was a weekend, you know. Um, right. But going back to work and then having weekends off, I don't know. It's it's a new experience for me, and it's it's kind of nice. Uh, so – but, yeah. I <laughs> My sleep schedule, going back to it, it's a little fucky because uh, I close – uh like two days a week and then i open another day
0: yeah i i can't imagine because uh, uh once upon a time in my teens and 20s um i played music mm-hmm. professionally and uh i was in bands and um, um we toured around a little bit and it was it was my schedule that you know i would get up at noon at the earliest yeah <laughs> and then yeah. go and re- go and rehearse and then we would you know we'd play a gig and we'd finish at closing you know one thirty, two o'clock and then um then we would stay up and mm-hmm. you know shenanigans and then go to sleep and then get up and do it and then on our days off um we would just you know recuperate yeah and spend a lot of time in bed um but I I've gotten to a place in my life where if I am awake at midnight, I feel like like hammered dog shit. <laughs> 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 I it's hard for me to and every once in a while we do, but it's just it's hard for me to stay up that late anymore because I'm just on a different yeah. schedule. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um. So you've been busy with your work, I've been busy with work. Um uh,
1: I, I guess and, I I guess we should actually introduce ourselves.
0: <laughs> I yeah, we've talked about um uh What a Witch podcast, and that's what this is. It's What a Witch podcast. Vatevich. Vatevich. <laughs> um you sound like Melania. Oh god. <laughs> And you
1: are my beautiful and wonderful and fantastic and talented and amazing mother, Kimberly
0: Morrison. I am. And you are the same. The same description. I- <laughs> you are not Kimberly Morrison, but um, everything you said and then some, and you are Katie Morrison.
1: Mm-hmm. I, sh- I sure <laughs> am. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I realized, so we hadn't uploaded in a long time. It was like a month in between. And we had tried to record an episode and the audio was all messed up. And then we recorded an episode in the middle of October. But I wasn't able to because I was getting back into the swing of work and my fucked up sleep schedule. And I was training more. Um, Now my schedule is a little bit more freed up. But I wasn't able to edit and release the episode until... Um, The beginning of November. So we were talking about it being spooky in October, but I wasn't able to get the episode up until November. Um, But we both of us talked and we want to keep the spooky season alive. Right.
0: Absolutely. Because, you know, Tim Burton. Said for some of us, Halloween is every day.
1: And 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 we love spooky. We love um, weird um kind of mysterious stories and tales and
0: Mm um i have no idea what you're going to talk about this week um i have no idea what you're going to talk about this week um we haven't even decided who's going to go first well i went first last time i mean it doesn't matter do you want do you want to close the the, uh, podcast do you want to open the podcast what do you feel like what do you feel like, Katie? I don't care. Uh, yeah, I'll go first. Okay. Okay. <sighs> Spooky. Spooky. Um, so my topic today is on modern spiritualism or spiritism. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk about its beginnings, um, some of the most notable spiritualists, uh, their rise and fall in popularity, their methods, and the skeptics and staunch believers. Cool. Yeah. So, um, so I gathered this information from a lot of different sources. Um, but Wikipedia describes spiritism thusly. Spiritist philosophy claims that humans, along with all other living beings, are essentially immortal spirits that temporarily inhabit physical bodies for several necessary incarnations to attain moral and intellectual improvement. It also asserts that disembodied spirits, through passive or active mediumship, may have benevolent or malevolent influence on the physical world. So okay. that's kind of the basic, um, definition. So modern spiritualism, and when I say modern, um, it's kind of a misnomer. Uh, it's, um, in context, modern spiritualism began in the 1840s in a small town in New York called Hydesville. Of course, it started in New York. <laughs> uh, yeah the in the northeast um uh well and in the 1840s um you know there was a lot of the rest of the country that was wasn't even uh in existence (laughs) right Um, or at least not to the colonizers (laughs) correct so most historians believe that the movement found its roots in 1848 when sisters Maggie and Kate Fox began communicating with a spirit in their home through rappings and knockings. Hmm. So the story goes that in that year, Kate, who was aged 11, so that's pretty young. Yeah. And Maggie, aged 14, were living in a small house, like I said, in Hydesville, New York, with their parents. Hydesville no longer exists, um, but it was a small hamlet uh, that was part of the township of Arcadia in Wayne County, New York, just outside of Newark. Even prior to them moving in, the house had some reputation for being haunted, but it wasn't until late March that the family began to be frightened by unexplained sounds That at times sounded like knocking and at other times sounded like moving furniture. Mm. So yeah. So the house was uh, given off spooky vibes. Um, During the night of March 31st, Kate challenged the invisible noisemaker presumed to be a spirit to repeat the snaps of her fingers. And it did. Um, it was asked to wrap out the ages of the girls and it did. Oh, no. So, so they called in the neighbors. <laughs> they call in the neighbors. Um, and I guess because they wanted, you know, someone else to witness this. Um, over the course of the next few days, a code was developed where raps could signify yes or no, uh, in response to a question or be used to indicate a letter of the alphabet. Huh. So it's so, like their own
1: unique Morse code.
0: Yeah. They're, they're reaching out and communicating with the spirit who, um, apparently all he can do is rap or knock. you know, rap, like <laughs> <laughs> this not is not a, my...
1: <laughs> a spirit of a hip hop artist. M&M. You
0: know, like Eminem. Uh, no, no, <laughs> um imagine <laughs> <laughs> that would that would be, that would be awesome you know right? snoop you're in your house oh my god And <laughs> if i would
1: pay for snoop to haunt me genuinely
0: <laughs> that would be that would be amazing uh so um the girls address the spirit as mr splitfoot which is like a nick- <laughs> well <laughs> well which is a nickname for the devil um this comes from the idea that d- the devil has hooves. Okay, so cloven feet. Mi- yeah, cloven feet, so hence Mr. Splitfoot. um later the alleged entity creating the sounds claimed to be the spirit of a peddler named Charles B. Rosna who'd been murdered 5 years earlier and buried in the cellar. Okay, well that makes sense. <laughs> sure, peddler comes uh a calling and he's murdered and buried in the
1: cellar. Sure why not? Well, I mean it would make s- if if that story is true, then that would make sense that yeah, it's it's probably him if he's was buried in their cellar.
0: Um
1: if that were the case. I mean oh, there were but rumors it's, it's of unsure
0: this. it's unsure if it's actually true or not. Okay. Correct. Um so in his writings of the Fox sisters, Arthur Conan Doyle, Mm -hmm. the author of Sherlock Holmes, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes stories, and um, who was also one to embrace the occult and was an avowed spiritualist himself, claimed the neighbors dug up the cellar and found a few pieces of bone. So not a full skeleton or anything, but they, they, you know, the claim was that they found bone and that one of the fragments had hair on it so that it could have come from a skull. Dang. Perhaps. Ew. Um, however, no missing person named Charles B. Rosna was ever identified. Um So these two girls, Kate and Maggie, were sent to nearby Rochester. So during all these disturbances, the girls were sent away, you know, during all this excitement. And... Kate was sent to the, the house of her sister Leah, and Maggie to the home of her brother David. And lo and behold, the wrappings—you know, these knockings and wrappings—followed um, them. Hmm. So, Amy and Isaac Post, a radical Quaker couple.
1: <laughs> yeah, bring them back the Quakers.
0: Bring, bring him back to sentences Descendants the
1: of Benjamin Oat.
0: <laughs> exactly. Don't get me started. <laughs> Benjamin. Uh, if you don't know who Benjamin Oat is, go back to the uh, Gordon Bees episode. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Amy and Isaac Post um who in, undoubtedly were uh descendants from Benjamin Oat, um a, a radical quaker, quaker couple and long-standing friends of the Fox family invited the girls into the Rochester home immediately convinced of the genuineness of the phenomena they helped to spread word among their radical quaker friends radical quakers we all- <laughs> Because we all know how radical Quakers can be. <laughs>
1: yep. When I think of radicalism, I think of Quakers
0: and and their oats. oats. <laughs> so these radical Quakers became the. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! It's happened again. Continue. These radical... <laughs> The radical Quakers, they became the early core of spiritualists. Um, Write uh, your name in the (laughs) oats. Oh. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In this way appeared the association between spiritualism and radical political causes, because remember when I talked about the Quakers being, um, they, they were abolitionists. Uh Um, so, uh, um, they were also for temperance and equal rights for women. Um, the reason for this, um, that for a time, spiritualism was the only way women were allowed to speak in public. Uh, female mediums, used this as a way to champion the ideas of women's suffrage, equal rights, and abolition of slavery, claiming that these weren't their ideas, but rather messages from the spirit realm. I can see why those two things would be associated, yeah. Mm. So, I mean, whatever the case, I'm very clever of those ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, so on November 14th, 1849, the Fox sisters demonstrated their spiritualist wrappings at the Corinthian Hall in Rochester. This was the first demonstration of spiritualism held before a paying public and inaugurated a long history of public events, uh, uh, featured by spiritualist mediums and leaders in the United States and in other countries. So, the Fox Girls became famous and their public seances in New York in 1850 attracted um, such notable people as William Cullen Bryant, George Bancroft, James Fenimore Cooper, um, Sojourner, Sojourner Truth, and William Lloyd Garrison. So these were famous people at the time. Um, they also attracted imitators. Uh, during the following few years, hundreds of people claimed the ability to communicate with spirits. Yeah, but... <laughs> As you do. Um, you know. Uh, so, Kate and Maggie became well-known mediums, giving seances for hundreds of people. Many of the early seances were entirely frivolous. Um, where sitters sought insight into the state of you know things like railway stocks or the issue (laughs) because that's (laughs) what spirits really concern themselves with (laughs) sure um uh or the issue of love affairs you know like am i gonna meet a tall dark handsome you know man um that's a whole separate ball game
1: you know like like fortune telling and communing with with spirits, I feel like, yeah.
0: Well, it kind of encompassed the whole gambit. So, um, But the religious significance of communication with the deceased soon became apparent. Horace Greeley, who was a prominent publisher and politician, he became kind of a protector for the girls, um, enabling their movement to higher social circles so for a while these girls were making a very good living holding seances so it's always follow the money you know yeah um so the rise in popularity of the fox sisters started a slew of copycats um one of these were the davenport brothers so Ira and William Davenport of Buffalo, New York, we're still in New York, were inspired by the wrappings of the Fox sisters. <laughs> now I'm thinking that they were, you know. Yep. Every time you say Demonstrated <laughs> rapping Demonstrated the rapping. Yep. <laughs> As in knocking. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um. Uh, so they decided to try a session of their own with their father. Their session was to be so chilling and they would later claim that their sister actually levitated during this session um, that uh they decided to create their own show. In 1855, 16-year-old Ira and 14-year-old William. Now, that's really young. You know, I mean, these were, um, you know entrepreneurial kids yeah <laughs> um so well, anyway, by th-
1: at that time they were already adults well like you said
0: <laughs> a 14 a year old girl was like a 40 year old <laughs> mm,
1: what a spinster
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. so um anyway they so they were 14 and 16 when they first got on stage um and they had a spirit guide and his name was Johnny King. So uh, some some ghosts that they uh helped them along with their with their show. Um they performed a number of elaborate tricks um that were more shocking than just simple wrappings or knockings. <laughs> uh often so these, the show would include like ringing of bells, um, you know, uh, cabinets, opening, closing doors, uh, or drawers, mm-hmm. ropes, um, floating instruments. Um, all this would be utilized in their performance. Members of the audience would swear they saw instruments fly over their heads or feel ghostly hands on their shoulders. Mm. The brothers were heralded as true mediums and enjoyed fame for the rest of their professional careers. Um, another famous medium of the day, her name was Ava Carrier. In the early 1900s, she was a medium known for her ability to produce a mysterious substance called ectoplasm mm. from a number of orifices. Mm, yum. <laughs> Ectoplasm is a term used in spiritualism to denote a substance or spiritual energy exteriorized by physical mediums carrier with the help of her assistant and alleged lover, Juliet Bison. Mm. Love that woman,
1: love and woman, love, (laughs)
0: love is love. Um, so they would, um, they, they would allow themselves to be stripped down and searched to prove that there was nothing on their person when they would hold these seances. Um, she would then let bison, uh, put her in a trance. And after some time, she would conjure up ectoplasm from her mouth. Um, so when I was a kid, um, and I'm talking like, the third grade I would go to the library and check out every book I could find on the paranormal, which made me kind of, I mean, at the time this is in the seventies yeah. and I don't know what my other classmates were checking out in the library, but I ventured to say it wasn't, you know, ghosts and um, poltergeists. <laughs> <clears throat> Cause the, that was my favorite subject. And at the time, and, um, some of these books had old black and white photographs of these mediums producing ectoplasm. Um, and I was totally transfixed, but at the same time, unnerved. Um, but also fascinated, but scared. And, you know, it kind of drew me in at the same time. Right. Um, now when I look at the, photos um i still think they're creepy because they're old black and white photos and you see these mediums and they're supposed to be in some kind of trance but we've come a long way with special effects (laughs) that that people from the 1800s Mm -hmm. um just you know they're they, Do you not think
1: those pictures are real or, or that they were doctored or
0: they, they, uh, no, I in no way, shape or form. I guess they still creep me out just because I mean, okay. So if I look at a painting that has, um, are you looking up ectoplasm and, <laughs> yeah yeah mediums yeah yeah so they're cheesy and they don't look real but i think because my my grade school brain was you know was viewing them and i had a different perspective um they still it it still kind of creeps me out and so like i was saying um you can look at a painting that is, um, uh, or a photograph and it can be doctored. If, it, if it's meant to be scary, it still evokes a, a sense of, um, I don't know what to say. Um, eeriness, you know, and, and can give you a feeling of eeriness, even though, you know, it's not real. You know what I mean? Are you looking at? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm,
1: I'm looking at them and I'm like, it is bizarre.
0: Mm hmm. It is bizarre. Yeah. But, um, anyway, I, I just, when I was a kid uh, looking at those photographs, it was, um, it really drew me in. I was fascinated by them. Um, so, spiritualism remained popular for many many years and in the late 1920s Mina Crandon also known as Marjorie um, she was also known as the blonde witch of Lime Street was one of the most well-known and controversial mediums of her time she was described as a friendly pretty woman But the ghost of her brother, Walter, was much less charming. Um, The medium would conjure his spirit, who would then rap out messages. He would tip over tables. He would yell at the participants. Um, Often, ectoplasm would ooze from Marjorie's ears, nose, mouth, or dress. Yeah. The mysterious substance sometimes took the form of a hand and supposedly rang bells or touched participants. Um, Her performance was so convincing that it attracted the Boston elite. And even, again, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle mentioned, as mentioned before. So he was, you know, part of her audience and believed in her abilities. Um. In 1923, the famous magician Harry Houdini joined a panel of scientists, uh, formed by the Scientific American to find a true medium. So Houdini. I, I remember he hearing the story. So Houdini had an interest in the occult, but he also, as a magician, um, he, he also wanted to expose, uh, uh, fake mediums
1: right and he, he wanted to believe it but he was also a skeptic because a lot of his
0: work had to do with <clears throat> deception yeah yeah exactly so um so he was part of this um panel of, of scientists and they offered a, a prize for convincing them of true mediumship and that prize was $5,000. Um, so the, the panel was, they were very convinced um, with Marjorie, this one medium. And they were gearing up to give her this $5,000 prize money for her legitimacy. But Houdini wanted to take a look at her for him. You know, he wanted to attend one of these seances. So in 1924, uh, he went to Boston to attend a seance with her. Um, when the seance began, Houdini sat next to Marjorie with uh, their hands joined. So they, they were joining hands uh, and their feet and legs touching. So he wanted to touch her legs and feet. And so and I, I found this kind of interesting. Earlier that day, Houdini wore a, ba- a tight bandage around his knee all day, making it extremely sensitive to the touch. So I'm assuming because he, he wore this bandage that maybe kind of cut off circulation and maybe just prior to the seance, he removed it so that it would be very sensitive. Mm you know, to to touch or, or movement. Um, so the heightened sensitivity helped him feel Marjorie move as she used her feet to grab various props during the act. Mm. And I think a lot of the mediums got very adept at doing that. They would remove their shoes during a seance and they would grab, you know, things underneath the table and they would, you know, use their their feet to, to wrap on the floor, etc. cetera. Um, so after figuring out the scheme, Houdini was convinced of the fraud and wanted to go public. Despite his confidence, the rest of the panel remained uncertain, um, putting off the decision. By October of that same year, the Scientific American published an article explaining that the panel was hopelessly divided. The hesitation angered both Houdini and Marjorie, um, and her, the spirit of her brother. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> Walter, who was quoted as saying, Houdini, you goddamn son of a bitch, get the hell out of here and never come back. If you don't, I will. So, Walter was very outspoken. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, that was him. You know, expressing his, his dislike of for Houdini. Um, by November, Houdini circulated a pamphlet called "Houdini Exposes the Tricks Used by the Boston Medium Marjorie." Um, he then put on performances recreating her tricks for amusement of, skept, of skeptics. Hmm. Humiliated and without prize money, Marjorie made a prediction in 1926 through walter's ghost who said houdini will be gone by halloween and coincidentally houdini did die that october 31st from peritonitis wow (laughs) so that's kind of that's kind of creepy that is weird (laughs) um so marjorie and her prickly ghost brother Um, May have gotten the last laugh, but by 1941, her reputation was in ruins from Houdini's mockery. Still, she never confessed to her trickery, uh, even on her deathbed. So she, you know, claimed that she was a true medium uh, till the end. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the mediums during this period of time were found to be charlatans who relied on trickery and lies. Uh, but there were steadfast believers who were convinced um, by some of the medium's performances. And going back to the Fox sisters um, and where spiritualism began, they eventually confessed to making up everything. In 1888, Maggie Fox was quoted as saying, That I have been chiefly instrumental in perpetuating the fraud of spiritualism upon a too confiding public, most of you doubtless know. The greatest sorrow in my life has been that this is true, and though it has come late in my day, I am now prepared to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth So help me God. I am here tonight as one of the founders of spiritualism to denounce it, and as an absolute uh, denounce it as an absolute falsehood from beginning to end. As mm. the flimsiest of superstitions, the most wicked blasphemy known to the world. At the same time, her sister Kate also said, I regard spiritualism as one of the greatest curses that the world has ever known. Um, so, I I learned about all this, you know, spiritualism when I was a kid, and it always fascinated me. Um, I have never participated in a in a seance with a purported medium. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I still hold an open mind to the idea that some people may be sensitive enough to communicate with the other side. Um, but I think also, too, what fascinates me about all this is that it encompasses a time frame in which I really love. Um, the mid to late 1800s and the Victorian era. Um I guess because a lot of gothic horror literature was born out of that era. Um And when I imagine ghosts, I usually picture some old Victorian style right house.
1: And a lot of people do. Yeah. A lot of people describe yeah.
0: the woman in the Victorian
1: dress. Yeah. Thinking um, about it, that actually is really interesting.
0: And you makes know, a lot so, of sense. Yeah. So I, I, I will always love that time in history. Um, you know, there were, I love the fashion, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was also a time of great advancements, you know, the industrial age and um, uh, electricity, and I mean, it, it was um, it was really interesting time, and also lends to um, a lot of things that I relish about that gothic, you know, the gothic ghost story. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway. So that concludes my dissertation on modern spiritualism.
1: So it seems like a vast majority of, um, spiritualism goes back to that which was completely debunked, right?
0: A lot of it was, um, I, you know, I, I think what was born out of that was uh, an interest in You know, something beyond Um, and kind of a a bucking against the the system of, you know, traditional religious, uh, you know, what was offered at the time. Uh, Additionally, what I didn't mention um, was that during the Civil War you know, which is, was the 1860s, -hmm. it helped also to, uh, bolster spiritualism because there were so many, you know, young men that went off and, and fought and were killed. And, um, there was so much grief and, and a lot of grieving that people wanted to somehow connect to, um, you know, those men who went off and fought in the war and, they, you know, they were looking to connect with their loved ones that they lost. So it, um, there were a lot of reasons why it became so popular at the time. Uh, and uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's always been something that intrigued me and fascinated me. And yeah, um, there's that little part in the back of my mind, you know, that, it would be nice if, you know, we could connect with the other side, you know, people who have passed. Um, so, but at the same time, I would also very much like, um, you know, hobbits to be real and mm-hmm. Gandalf right. and everything, <laughs> yeah. uh, Rivendell, and yeah, yeah, you know. So, but anyway. That's, um, that's modern spiritualism. Well, good job. Thanks. Very cool. So what have you got? What what have you got for us?
1: So this is on another side of spooky. It's not like spooky. It's, it's more bizarre and kind of disturbing in a completely different way. Um, (laughs) Oh, sounds great. <laughs> and and what made me think of it is I knew of this story, but I had never really gone into the research of it. And what made me think of it is actually our discussion last time about the the Woolpit, the green children of Woolpit. Um yeah. and how they spoke a different language and how I had said, well, maybe they had their own weird brother sister language, right? Um, right. And that reminded me of this story of the silent twins. Hmm. Okay. Silent twins. okay. Okay. So I will, I will tell you about it. Please do. So, um, the silent twins, uh, Jennifer and June Gibbons, they were born in Barbados to Gloria and Aubrey Gibbons in 1963. The girls were very late to speech and only really spoke a few phrases by the time they started school. And what they did say was almost completely unintelligible. When they started school, their parents had moved to Devon, England. Um, and race, unfortunately, was a really big problem for them. The, the school that they went to was all white. And so um, bullying was a really, really big deal with these two girls, unfortunately. Um, and that delayed their speech even further. And they coped mm-hmm. with it by gener- generally just not speaking to anyone but, but each other. And when they did speak to each other, it sounded like a completely different language. Um, people would often describe it as chirping birds or high-pitched squeaking. Um, hmm. Later, their their language would be broken down into an amalgamation of sped-up Barbados slang and English. Wow. But it was really, really sped up, and it was this amalgamation of of these two languages that made it really hard for anyone to understand. But they they continued to recede further and further into their own isolation, uh, and at this young age, refusing to read and write, not making eye contact. And by the age of 11, their family moved again to Haverford West in Wales. Wow. So, the, so from... Barbados? From, from Devon. So they, they were born in Barbados, they moved Barbados. to Devon got it, and then got they it, moved got it, got it. to Wales. Wales. Got it. Okay. And apparently this, this town in Wales that they moved to was even more racially bigoted. Mm-hmm. So at this point they wouldn't even speak to their family. And so they had two, I think they had an older brother and an older sister and then later had a younger sister. Um, so they had a a decent sized family, but they wouldn't even speak to them. And for reasons like their skin color and delayed and strange speech patterns, they were even more intensely bullied and harassed so much so that their teachers and principal would excuse them from class five to 10 minutes early. So they wouldn't be followed and harassed on their way home. Oh, wow. Yeah. At this point in school, there was a medical officer who came in to give all the students vaccinations And his name was John Reed, and he later talked to a journalist that wrote about their life, and he described the girls as lifeless. That they didn't flinch when he gave them their shots, and they didn't even seem to acknowledge that he was there. Uh, He suggested to the family that they be sent to this behavioral hospital so that they could be analyzed and hopefully better understood, where at this point they wouldn't even speak to each other when others were around. Unfortunately, it seems like the be- behavioral hospital that they went to didn't really help, and so they were sent home, and the seclusion isolation became even more intense. So much so that by the age of fourteen, their parents decided it would be best for them to be sent to this boarding school in hopes that they would start communicating with other people and begin to that gain is, some. That is
0: so British yeah <laughs> to to send your kids to boarding school yeah i mean th- there are ber- boarding schools in this country yes but um it, it it's so much more common in england to send yeah go go your- send your kids off
1: to have someone else take care of them yeah. right exactly um but the the hopes were i mean in all the reading that i did it i didn't read anything about the 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 parents themselves or anything being neglectful or it seemed it seemed like the family really wanted what was best for them from what i read i don't know there there could be articles that i completely missed out on but it seems like they were trying to do something right
0: right and i'm I'm, and don't get me wrong i'm not saying that the british or english boarding school system is you know terrible i it just it's yeah it is very british yeah that's all i'm saying for sure (laughs)
1: um so so they they got sent to school when they were 14 in hopes that being around other people other than their family maybe outside of their comfort zone that they would start communicating with others and start to gain some independence and it didn't work and so what they ended up doing at this point was they separated them so oh, no. Jennifer stayed at that boarding school and they sent June about 30 miles away to another adolescence unit in hopes that they would learn to function without each other. Oh dear. And unfortunately this had the opposite effect.
0: They well, I could have told them that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I I see their line of logic and like sure. okay, you know, they're Completely codependent on each other. We need to separate them so that they can learn to grow and mature. Maybe in a
0: uh, in a more, in a slower way. <laughs> you know? Yeah. More.
1: Yeah. Um, but whenever they did separate them, they both separately essentially became catatonic. Mm-hmm. Both of them were refusing to eat. They were refusing to do schoolwork. Many times they they wouldn't get out of bed. And so this went on until they were 16 and eventually went home. They they were sent home, the separation not having its intended effect.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So once they were home, they basically just locked themselves in their rooms. Together? Together. They were together. OK, they they locked themselves in their room, th- their room, singular, playing with dolls, putting on plays, um, making up their own stories. They they got really into writing at this point, but even with their family, they refused to interact. Oh, geez. So much so to the point where they wouldn't eat with their family. I assume that they would that the family would bring them up dinner. And what they started doing is they would leave notes to their family. So like if they wanted to watch TV, they would leave a note to their family. Hey, we want to watch this this channel at this time so their family could leave the room. And even at that point, they wouldn't go down into the family room to watch it. They would stay up on the stairs and watch it from a distance. Oh. And even if someone from their own family who they lived with, If they walked by them, they would get like spooked and run into their own room and lock themselves in. Just super bizarre. So for Christmas one year, their mother gifted to them these red leather bound diaries that they became kind of obsessive with. And they wrote in all the time they would. um, It was reported that they would write rough drafts to their diary entries. Like they became really, really into their writing. But the strange thing is, while they were really, really codependent with each other and would only interact with each other. They often wrote about each other in these diaries in a really malicious way. They often spoke about getting rid of the other, about they could tell. So June was born 10 minutes before Jennifer. And it's it was kind of thought that Jennifer felt inferior. And so June would talk about the jealousy that Jennifer felt to her and Jennifer would talk about this shadow that she was in. And so it it started, it started getting a little bit intense, but their writing became a source of artistic expression for them. And they decided that they wanted to become prolific authors. Uh, They eventually saved up enough money to take an online writing course and did so as one person. So they signed up as a singular person. They were really interested in crime and the behavior of criminals
0: and miscreants and sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. They wrote. So, which is interesting because it sounds like they are so, so isolated as to not have any kind of worldly experience. Mm-hmm. And yet they have an interest in, you know, in those things. That's that's kind of fascinating. Yeah, for sure.
1: They they ended up writing a few novels that they tried really hard to get published, but no one would publish them. So they ended up self-publishing, and they had these ideas that they would get all these accolades and everything, but their books never picked up. And so they they did not receive the recognition that they were hoping for. And eventually, at this point, around the age of 18, it led them to a completely different sort of lifestyle where they actually started getting out of the house um, and start experimenting with drugs and sex and petty crime at this point, they would also often fight in public, like physically assault each other, choking each other, beating each other. Wow, yeah, so it it was this very strange um, "I love you, I hate you, I love you, I
0: hate you <laughs>
1: right which which I feel like a lot of siblings can understand and get you know really intense, you know, or just of- any any codependent relationship. You know. Yeah, but this this was so extreme, right? Um, and yeah, um, so then they started screaming, or they they started uh, pff, sorry, they started stealing. Um, they started doing petty theft. They started screaming. <laughs> yeah, ha ha! I stole this. <laughs> Watch me go. <laughs> they started doing petty theft, breaking windows of buildings. Um, just, like, really bizarre property destruction. Random. Destruction, yeah. And eventually began playing with fire, literally. Which is a bad sign. Anyone who, like, is into true crime and can tell, like, the, the signs of really, really destructive yeah. behavior. Arson uh, is not a good
0: sign. Harming animals and arson, you know, playing with fire. Yeah, those are really bad signs. Yeah.
1: Uh, It was at a local technical college where they were actually caught and detained um, and they were tried on, I think it was 16 counts on theft, um, burglary and arson, which they pled guilty to. And they were declared as mentally unstable. Instead of serving time in prison, they were sent to a high security mental institution where they were said to have psychopathic personality disorder And were a danger to themselves and to others. And they were eventually put on opposite sides of the facility. So this is this next part is probably what most people know about this story. It's what I knew of the story. And it was that even though they were nowhere near each other in this institution, they would the nurses would report that they would often exhibit similar and bizarre behavior, such as being frozen in the same positions. At the same time. On opposite sides of the hospital. Okay. <laughs> yeah. that the, okay. They would either standing or laying down. Or sitting in a certain part of the room. The nurses would report that they. Even though they had no idea. No idea what the other was doing. That they. Had this weird. Mirrored. Behavior. Even though they weren't near each other.
0: They also did stuff- So the so the inferences because they're twins and they're so connected that they could possibly you know the connection was so strong that they would be doing the same thing at the same time in completely different right in uh, and and, areas. and a lot
1: of a lot of doctors kind of speculated that they thought that they were in many ways, the same person Mm -hmm. that they were two people sharing the same
0: soul or mind or that's really interesting. I've never, that's, that's really interesting. I've never thought about that, that, that two separate people would consider themselves as one right that's wild yeah wild it
1: it really and they would do more bizarre things such as and again completely different this is weird this is so weird i can't get over this (laughs) (laughs) nowhere near each other they would have no contact and and eventually they would eventually like they they would let them get together in this institution or whatever but like in these circumstances um Completely opposite sides of the facility. And one day, one of the girls would starve themselves. And the other day, or in the same day, the other girl would ravenously eat and stuff themselves.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: And then, and then it would flip flop, but randomly. So, so stuff like that. And it's just so, and that would, I don't know it's it's fucking weird it's like if they really thought they were the same person it's like one of them is eating for two Uh in in those moments you know yeah it just super bizarre especially because there was no way that they would know what the other was doing
0: Uh um
1: and at this point whenever they had first gotten there like June attacked a nurse Jennifer tried to commit suicide And whenever they were brought together, they would constantly fight. And they wrote in their diaries about how much they hated each other. But whenever they were apart, they would write about how lonely they were. So just really, really unhealthy codependency. Years later, they were transferred to a lower security facility around the same time that they began a relationship with a journalist named Marjorie Wallace. And she was the journalist that I talked about before. Mm hmm she took a special interest in their case and the girls would actually communicate with her, which was strange given their previous history of absolutely zero communication with anyone. But to me, it kind of makes sense because they wanted their stories told and it never happened. And here's someone who's really interested in their, in their case. And I guess got through to them in a way that a lot of other people weren't able to, um, so I don't know. It it makes sense to me that they would talk to this journalist, right? Um, and so she started, you know, interviewing them for for a number of years, and moving forward a bit more. The girls are now thirty one years old, and they're having a cup of tea with Marjorie, um, and they were tr- told earlier that they were being transferred to another institution, and so while they're all three of them are sitting around having a cup of tea. Jennifer tells Marjorie 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 I'm going to have to die. And when Marjorie pressed for an explanation Jennifer simply responded because we have decided.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. It, so at at this point I, I mean at least to me it becomes really clear that the girls had come to a conclusion that one could not live a normal life while the other one was still alive. It was, it was likely that they were both holding on to, to a singular piece that the other one needed to exist and they were both fighting for it or, or something. Um, So they both decided that one of them had to die. Jesus. Now it's really bizarre Is March of 1993 they were being transferred to this other institution um, and they were traveling together in this truck where upon arrival Jennifer was extremely unresponsive and was rushed to the hospital where she was pronounced dead Uh, uh, the crazy part was that the death was natural it was extreme inflammation to the heart There was no poison in her system and no physical harm done to her body. When asked about what had happened in the truck, June had told them that Jennifer had laid her head in her lap and she said, I'm going to die now and passed away with her eyes open.
0: Okay. That's just... One of the creepiest things ever. I, I mean, so, so this is, this is all, okay. So last episode, you told me after you told the story, uh, this was all made up. This was actually what she claimed happened
1: Yes, this um, this is true. this is a very true story,
0: yeah. Um and and
1: the autopsy report so they had decided together that one could not live while the other was still living. And I I was watching some video, I don't remember what it was, um I didn't read this, but I was watching some video where they had agreed they were in this this institution i think it was the second institution that they were in and that they decided the next institution that they were going to one of them was going to be alone and so as they were going to this next institution jennifer died and again the autopsy showed no signs of poison no physical harm to the body it was heart inflammation
0: mm-hmm.
1: so yeah i Again, whenever uh, they asked June what happened, she said, Jennifer laid her head in my lap and said, I'm going to die now. And then passed away. So Jennifer's headstone is engraved with a poem written by June. And the poem reads as such. We once were two. We two made one. We know more two. Through life be one. Rest in Peace.
0: oh wow
1: and strangely enough after her sister's passing June went on to lead a relatively normal life
0: where she
1: moved back near where her parents lived and was able to function normally in society Um, so it seems as though they were right that one could not live peacefully with the other And that is the bizarre and tragic story of the silent twins.
0: Oh, my God. Now, do you know if she's still living? So, um,
1: I don't know. And I didn't look it up on purpose out of respect for her. As weird as that sounds. I get it. As far as I know, she's still alive. I haven't, you know, I looked up a bunch of videos and articles talking about their lives and none of them said that. They, they all said she went on to live a, a normal life. Um, if they were 31, 27 years ago, she would be 58.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean, it's very possible.
0: Um, wow. I mean, what an amazing, what an amazing story and what a, a, and again, not to, um, sensationalize, you know, two people's actual lives, but, I could see how, how. I mean, it's so cinematic. I could see how, if someone did it right, could you know um, put together a, a you know a story.
1: Well, well, Marjorie Wallace wrote a book about them. I, I believe it's called *The Silent Twins* or *The Silent uh-huh. Sisters*. Um, Marjorie Wallace. Um, went on to
0: to write that book I'll have to I'll have to look that up I'll have to read that because that's that's um you know it's it's got so many aspects to it um you know the codependency the um uh the shared not language just, yeah but not just codependency but just you know that desperate dependency Mm. Uh, Well, well, which I guess is codependency, but, um, yeah. Wow. Yep. What an incredible story.
1: Yep. So your story last, last time as what reminded me of this one, twins really like weird stories about twins really fucked me up. There's another story about twins. They were, I believe Swedish twins who were in Britain
0: and they run into traffic. Oh, oh, yeah. I I heard about that story. And when you were doing that, I was thinking, oh, maybe I should do, you know, <laughs> a, an episode on that. Um, so before we get into any great detail, that is a bizarre story right there. Now, were they twins, though? Mm-hmm. I think or so. Or were they just... Yeah, I were think they, they were just twins. Sist- they might have just been
1: sisters. I thought they were twins. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Uh, um, yeah. But what's really okay. bizarre about so, that one is there's video footage of it.
0: I know. So maybe we should just, like... Uh, maybe we should just... um <laughs> in there and then do that as an episode later because that was really freaky. Mm-hmm. Yep. And,
1: and yeah, yeah. I won't say any because you want to do it, but yeah. <laughs> um,
0: but yeah. Twin, twin stuff is so weird. Yeah. So. Fine. Well, and there, there are stories of um, twins who were adopted to different families mm-hmm. and then wind up, I mean, there's crazy stories. Um, you know, they, they grow up and they wind up marrying spouses with the same name. And then they have, you know, they have the same job or the same type of job. I mean, you know, there is a definite connection or seems to be with, with twins. Yeah. Um, That is kind of beyond (laughs) normal explanation. So wow, that was a great story. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you what are you jazzed about? I (laughs) why are you drinking a mimosa?
1: Man, I'm just, I can't tell you how anxious I was this, this whole last week. And Zoo and I voted early. We voted like the second day that you could vote in Texas. Um, And we went in and, you know, it's, I'm just so relieved. I, I don't know what else to say. I'm so relieved
0: and I, I understand you know i was talking to your aunt kathleen and um there's no there's no gloating there's no um i don't you know i didn't even want to yes it is celebratory for many reasons um but like you said the the feeling was just a sigh of relief I'm just relieved, <laughs> yep. so so that's a you know, and those of you out there who can just assume what we're talking about <laughs> there's glass ceilings that have been broken, and mm-hmm. um and uh, I just feel an optimism that I haven't felt in a long time, so yeah, I'll just say that, yeah. I mean, I mean really.
1: And um uh one of one of my favorite comedians. Um she's Canadian, uh but she she's a citizen here in America. And she she tweeted something that I completely agree with, which is every American won today whether they see it or not. Mhm. Yeah. And yeah. and I I totally agree. Um but yeah, yeah. I I just um, to, to not piss too many people off further, um, <laughs> I will <can>, <laughs> I'll make a, a second one, which is, um, Zoo and I started cycling. We started Woohoo! biking, you know, getting some exercise cause, um, I got like zero exercise during quarantine and, um, and the weather's really nice out now. And so going out and biking, you know, isn't just God awful. Right now, um, mm-hmm. I will say though, last week, a week a week ago today, uh, last Sunday, we went to Terry Hershey Park, which is a twelve mile bike ride. And on the way back, during the whole time, I was so I was freaking out because there were a lot of people there. It was on a Sunday, the the trail is very narrow and it's very windy, and there are a lot of people. So whenever multiple people are passing each other, you either have to break behind the person behind you, lose your momentum, or try to like swing by on this very narrow trail. And the majority of the time I was following Zoo, but sometimes when that would happen, he would end up way ahead of me. And I would, you know, try to catch up or whatever. So on our way back, part of it is over a bayou. And so there's like this kind of bridge with railings on the left And there was this couple walking uh, in front of me. And so I, you know, told them I was coming up on their left. Um, But they, for some reason, started to move over. (laughs) And so I freaked out and I, like, tried to move over and my handlebar got caught in the railing. And I essentially, like, flipped up and, like, ate shit. Oh no! Yeah. Uh, and it hurt so bad, but what hurt worse was my fucking ego. <laughs> I, it was so bad. I was so embarrassed <laughs> that like I cried on the way home. I was um, like,
0: no. <laughs> it was so embarrassing, but. Oh my God. One time, Randy and I were out, and, um, <laughs> whenever I go out with Randy, I'll ask him, how far are we going? He's like, you know, we'll, we'll do 20 miles and we'll come back. Well, you know, because he, he can do 100 miles. Mm-hmm. He's done 200 miles in one day. He's insane.
1: Yeah. But both of y'all I, are I very was, fit.
0: <laughs> I ask him ahead of time, where are we going? You know, how far are we going? Whatever. And we always go a lot farther than he initially <laughs> states. So anyway, we were out on a bike ride and, um, it it was, it was a trail. There's trails everywhere in Colorado. That's what's so great about, you know, Colorado, but, um, this, uh, it was near a residential neighborhood, but it was, you know, but it was separate and it was very twisty and turny. And um, we were coming around this curve, and I slowed down because I could see coming up, going the opposite direction. There were, you know, there was a couple
1: Mm
0: -hmm. on bikes, so I slowed down, and I was and I was very conscious to stay way over, you know, on to the right. And I think the woman just, she was just going too fast. I think she was unprepared for this tight curve. So Randy had passed her. And as soon as I passed her, we were on this tight curve and she ate it. She, her bike flipped and, um, I was really worried for her. So I called out to Randy to stop because he had already passed her. Right. But as she passed me, it was when, when the accident happened. And so I called out to him to stop and we both, you know, kind of rendered aid, but she like almost, it was almost as if she must've hit her head because she was just kind of dazed. And, Her partner, um, you know, we, we kept asking, do you want us to stay? Do you need us to call? And he's like, no, no, she's fine. She's fine. And I was like, I don't know if she's fine or not. And I felt guilty because we finally ended up leaving, but she was just totally out of it. And it, and it kind of scared me, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. one of those things that, um, cyclists deal with, um, on the trail, you have to be careful dogs and kids too. Yeah. Um, yeah, it we've is already a, experienced that. Um, it is a guarantee. As soon as I see a dog or a kid, you know, as I'm coming up on the trail, I slow way down mm-hmm. because sure as shit they're gonna they're gonna run right in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> they're, gonna, they're just gonna dart right in front of you. Well, when
1: I fell, the couple to the right of me acted like I was inconveniencing them. Oh my god.
0: They looked over.
1: And they, the the look they gave me. They looked over and they were like, "Oh my god." And then like kept walking. And I was like, "Bitch, you made me crash." <laughs> and they just kept going. And there was this couple that was walking toward us. Um and it was an older couple and I guess they were like out walking with their, you know, grandbaby or whatever in the stroller. Um and he he made a joke that hurt my feelings. He was like, oh, let me get out my phone and Instagram this or whatever. And I was just like, Ugh. and he was, and then he, I think he saw that it hurt my feelings and he was like, don't worry, sweetheart, it happens to
0: the best of us.
1: And I was like, yeah. And then I got back on the bike and I was just like,
0: oh. those are the people so when you're running from a zombie, those are the people that are going to trip you or push you. Yeah. Uh, you know yeah so anyway yeah the the that's the trials and tribulations (laughs) of biking on the trail anyway Um, that took forever what are you (laughs) jazzed about this week (laughs) um things i'm jazzed about well there are plenty of things that i'm always grateful for um but we've we often talk about things that we've been watching Mm -hmm. and I've been watching for the second time Penny Dreadful.
1: <laughs> yeah. You've been talking about that recently.
0: Um, I think it's because I did a deep dive into, you know, spiritualism. Um, but I was just really in the mood for a goth, gothic tale. So, you know, Halloween, um, came, but it never went as far as I'm concerned. Um, but, I'll tell you why I like it so much. Penny Dreadful <clears throat> is a blend of poetry and pulp. Um, a blend of horror and romance. And it is both playfully manipulative <laughs> and heartbreaking. At the same time. Um, and it's a series filled with, and this is, you know, kind of a quote from their own promotion of it is it's full of beautiful monsters and dreadful, gorgeous things. Hmm. And the more, the more you watch, it's one of those, um, series that you might watch the the pilot or the first episode and go oh that's interesting but the more you watch it the more you're invested in the characters and that's what i'm all about in you know in Mm -hmm. in a movie or a tv series or whatever a streaming series i have to be invested in the characters and with each episode I I have become more and more invested in the characters. And they are wonderful and heartbreaking. Um, but you know, and there's a lot to like there's you know the cinematography, the set design, the costumes, and Eva Green, oh my god, she is a queen, she's amazing, and um and it has all of my favorite gothic you know it has vampires, it has werewolves, it has um Dorian Gray, it has witches, it has uh Frankenstein and his monster, and they all and it's cleverly woven into an amazing story so um and it and it takes place during that time and period that I said that I love so much mm-hmm. um you know that. Kind of Victorian eight, eight the late eighteen hundreds and Victorian era. Um, yeah, it's great. <clears throat> and then the other thing I, I was jazzed about is yesterday, I bought tickets to the Texas Book Festival. There was a book talk with Matthew McConaughey and Ethan Hawke. So Matthew McConaughey has a new book out. It's called Green Lights. Hmm. And Ethan Hawke, uh, kind of interviewed him and they had a conversation about Matthew McConaughey's new book. Cool. Yeah. And, um, uh, I love Matthew McConaughey. You know, I, I don't ever want to disparage Texas because there's a lot of really great things about Texas. Um, Texas has like epic tales that are similar to Greek mythology. Um, There's a lot about Texas that I, you know. There's a lot about Texas that makes me really, really
1: mad. Yeah, I agree.
0: But there also is
1: that pride.
0: Well, there's there's a lot of storytelling. There's a lot of, I mean... Um, like larger
1: than life characters that have come yeah, from Texas and...
0: and there's a lot of landscapes that lend to great storytelling um you know Matthew McConaughey is a Texas boy mm-hmm. and Ethan Hawke you know was born in in Texas and and spent a lot of time in Texas um and um so anyway it was just it was a great uh, book talk, and it was well worth it to uh, uh, buy the tickets and and you know watch the the live stream and yeah that that was really great and I got the book so I'm gonna I'm gonna be reading McConaughey's Green Lights book and cool yeah so that was kind of cool very nice very nice. Have you seen the new Borat? No. Oh. No? Okay. Well, I plan to watch it. I hear it's hysterical. Uh, <laughs> what you need to watch is Hamilton. I know. I, well, I was, <laughs> I was about to tell on myself that I'm going to get somebody else's Disney channel, uh, <laughs> <log in. laughs> but yes, I know you have been telling me Hamilton's amazing. I know it's amazing. I just haven't seen it yet. And I will figure out a way. Unless, you know, maybe I just need to buy the Disney Channel. I don't know. I, but I will, I will watch it. I promise. I will. It's, she's looking at me like she doesn't believe me.
1: I don't. I've been telling you for weeks. <laughs> I know. We both grew up with musical theater, and this is one of the best. I could see I'm peeking myself on the mic. <laughs> I'm am... it it's so. Well, fucking but good. I have
0: to say, you're a recent convert because you've only seen it recently. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I
1: I had the whole thing that I feel like a lot of people did. I'm glad it came out on Disney Plus, because one, I was like, I didn't have time to go see a live show or anything. Um, a couple of my friends Time saw or it. money. Yeah. Well, <laughs> a couple of my friends saw it here in Houston. It wasn't the original Broadway cast, obviously, but um, I didn't know how else to watch it. Um, and also there were so many, there were, there were so many expectations that I was like, I'm, I'm pretty critical of, of musicals and of media in general, Um And there were all these expectations going into it. And I was like, if if it doesn't meet these expectations, I'm going to be so disappointed. Um, And one of my friends, um, it's uh, my friend Tina has been telling me like over and over, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. You have to watch it. And her and her husband aren't even that into musicals. So and I knew what it was about. And I knew the, you know, why it was so successful and everything. So we got disney plus and finally zoo is like zoo was the one who was like do you want to watch hamilton and he's not into musicals and so i was like okay fine after the first number i looked over at him and i said this is fucking good (laughs)
0: and it and it is it is it's wonderful um so the hype it meets up to the hype
1: yep and there's there's a meme that tina sent me on i think it was on thursday um it's a cabinet battle between thomas jefferson and hamilton um and there's there's one point where jefferson and matters uh madison uh are singing you don't have the votes and jefferson like laughs at his face and she sent me that <laughs> meme on thursday and i just died
0: very apropos yeah yeah you have to you have to watch it, you have to watch it I will, I will, I promise maybe by the next episode I will have watched it. and we can talk about talk about it, ouch, sh- yep, I know you're watching me. I see it, I see it, all righty, well, Spoopy. spoopy, it was spoopy, yeah, good stuff, yeah, so. Well, I guess until next time, uh, we always end with our tagline, um, you know, uh, our grand, my grandmama, your great grandmama, when asked, uh, grandma, are there such things as witches? And her reply was, there are no such things as witches, only ferocious women. That's right. And, there's one ferocious woman woman that uh is gonna be in the White House. Can I just
1: say I'm so glad that there are first dogs back in the White House? <laughs> I, yes, I, I, I mean I refrained from saying a lot of shit, but who the fuck doesn't have dogs in the or like cats? Like that shit just I
0: don't, a I don't, I don't trust a motherfucker yeah cats or dogs or whatever so um, champ yeah.
1: it's major and champ i am already oh, i already stand both of them <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> well we have uh you know yes so another glass ceiling we have uh a woman is vp we have dogs in the white house or we will have mm-hmm. shortly yeah yeah. So can you can you just update everyone
1: on how my glass is looking?
0: <laughs> Your glass is empty.
1: Good job. Yeah. <laughs> that was like three quarters of a glass of champagne. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Thanks. High five. High five. Okay. <laughs> well, be sure to check out our Facebook page and our Instagram. And if you have any suggestions for us, if if there's a topic that you really want uh one or the both of us to do um go ahead and send it to what a witch at mm-hmm. gmail.com our Facebook and Instagram page are under the same handles what a witch podcast
0: mm-hmm. yep yep so until next time until next time be bye. ferociously kind be ferociously kind that's right bye bye
1: Thanks for listening to What A Witch Podcast, hosted by Kimberly and Katie Morrison. Special thanks to Steve Wilson and Michael Grammer for the intro
0: and outro music. Until next time, you witch.